What's up, everybody? New intro for you all. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Our big uh, thanks to Jason Garrison helping us out with a lot of different stuff. And uh, we wanted a little new look, new vibe, and hopefully you enjoy that. But I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined as always by John Sheeran. A little bit of the slow period. As we know, in the NFL calendar, the Bengals calendar, there are, you know, there have been some workouts. There's been some news about players returning and all of that. But Happy to still be talking Bengals with you. We're still going to be coming at you with it with a lot of different content from us and others on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. John, how are you, bud? Coming off a holiday weekend. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing great, man. It's very sleek intro, you know. It's it's now it's not only slow season, it's very hot season. It's uh just past Memorial Day weekend, so it's pretty much summer at this point. But yeah, not a ton going on, but we still got content for you guys. And yeah, I like that intro. Jason. Jason. Yeah. Yeah. His first name and his last name. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason Garrison. Yeah. Um, a lot of different, a lot of different stuff we'll be doing on this show. Um, we we did put out a little short video yesterday in case you didn't see it on the YouTube channel. Um, and we'll talk more about some announcements going on for fans and some cool stuff we've got going on. So um, we'll we'll talk about that towards the end of the show. We've got a little bit of no, uh, news and some opinions attached to it with uh, the return of one specific player to the Cincinnati Bengals in working out with the team. And then, of course, we have another potential breakout player for you. We'll probably have a little bit of a succinct episode as comparative to some of the ones in season here, but going to get you going to get you more stuff here as the summer rolls on and obviously as the off-season training camp and into the season rolls on. And if you're new here, welcome. We love new people. We've been getting some new subscribers on the YouTube channel and I think also on the audio side. So if you are new here, welcome. We usually do this show once a week. We do some other shows as well sprinkled in. And then, of course, on the audio side with the other Cincy Jungle Podcast shows, um, we're trying to get you stuff most of the days of the week, if not every day of the week. So go check it out. Our YouTube channel, you can click on that. I think it's above John's screen there. You can click the show icon to subscribe. Click the bell to be notified when new content is available and when we go live. And then, of course, on the audio side of things, you can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Follow us all on Twitter, Cincy Jungle, John, myself, uh, for all kinds of content. And then, of course, you got to go give a thumbs up to the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. We stream live there. All of the articles that we put out on Cincy Jungle are pinned there, too. So go check all of that out. All right. Shameless self-plug aside, some big news this week, John. The Bengals have had a lot of a really high attendance for off-season workouts yet again. And some notable guys that have been out, Jonah Williams being one, obviously there's kind of a fluid situation or I, I don't know if fluid is even the right word for it, a, a sensitive situation, I guess, that's being traversed there. But that being aside, Tyler Boyd was a notable uh, guy that was absent from the off-season program. And now he is back. He has returned this week. And he came back with a vengeance, um, you know, talking about the Chiefs game, talking about you know expectations for the team this year obviously he has high expectations for the team this year one of the the fun quotes or the interesting quotes and i don't want to butcher it or, or misquote it but basically he was kind of saying um it, it was a lot of chief centrics talk and one of one of which was orlando brown coming to the Bengals and him kind of saying na 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 your loss is our game type of thing and we're going to take it and run with it yeah so it, it was it was surprising i think to a lot of people because he wasn't participating in OTAs beforehand and not only was this, was it surprising to us on the outside it was also surprising to Zach Taylor not for any reason other than Boyd told 
Zach when he was coming back and Zach just forgot about it. So when <laughs> everyone showed up on Tuesday and there's number 83 in his white jersey, like, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. He was coming back today. So the whole reason, and this is why Zach is you know revered by his players for being, I think Ted Karras, Michael Thomas called him like the best scheduler in the game. It's because he cares about his players' own personal schedule and their own personal training schedule. Obviously, Boyd's off-season regiment, it differs from Jamar Chase, differs from T. Higgins, differs from a lot of guys, right? So Boyd had some personal work to do. He was still getting getting work done. Nothing more than just what his own personal schedule was to make sure that his body was right so that he can come in to team activities, teamwork, to be you know the best version of him of his physical self, if you will, this time in May. So everyone has, has different uh, cool downs, you know, before they ramp things up in the spring and now he's back and he's participating with, you know, all of his teammates. And like you said, I think 87 officially are uh, present for OTAs right now out of the 89 players. The only two would be Jonah Williams and Chidabe Wuzier, but both of them I think are just mainly just injury related. I don't think Jonah Williams is officially cleared to do anything um, before like training camp or maybe it was sometime in like June or July. So he's still um, recovering at his own pace. Uh, he put videos back in April about him like squatting 500 reps, 500 pounds on like four sets or something like that. So he's he's still gaining back his strength after recovering from two dislocated knees. And Wuzier uh, was, I think, I think he was uh, present back in April when they had volunteers when the, they opened up, but he hasn't been there recently, but he's still doing his own thing. So that's, that's the whole thing, right? It's Zach Taylor is like, Hey, you guys can be here if you want to, but if you have your own thing going on, that's perfectly fine. But we expect you to be here when, when mandatory comes around. Yeah. And, and you know, the sidebar from the Tyler Boyd stuff real quick. I mean, it is good to see uh, these things, you know, they are voluntary, but we know that it's like, you know, <laughs> voluntold type of thing. You know what I mean? So, I mean, and when guys don't show up, it's like, oh, well, it's voluntary, but they're not here, you know? So it kind of becomes this big thing. But kudos to people like like Lael Collins, who has shown up. And even though he's not working out, he's – I mean, he's done a couple of workouts. We talked about that last week. But, you know, a guy that, you know, was was rehabbing and still, you know, wasn't good – it's expected he's not going to be doing a lot of on-field stuff, him recovering and, and guys like that. And it's not a knock on Abouzier or Jonah Williams not being there from their injuries. But, you know, it's just a good sign of the culture there that – Players who, you know, really don't have to be there, really, especially if they're nursing injuries, and some of them are there. And, oh, by the way, are doing some on-field stuff earlier than expected, which is a pleasant surprise, like we talked about last week with Leal. So all that kind of stuff, you know, it's it's a lot of good vibes. Even though the, the season didn't end the best way, the Bengals made it very far, there's a lot of good vibes, good feelings about this team and in the, in the direction they're heading, obviously, in 23, and that culture that Zach has built continues to flourish. So... The other big news, John, uh, and I will pin up an article. I believe this is from maybe Ben Baby of ESPN, um, if I'm not mistaken. But this shows uh, Bengals, Bengals Tyler Boyd basically proclaims we would have beaten the Chiefs if I was healthy. Now, if you remember, Tyler Boyd left that game early, and obviously the Bengals were having some uh, effectiveness with him in there, but left the game early. And he made some waves. He continues to not make friends over in the Kansas City region of the United States. So 
here's the article at, on ESPN. I would have beaten uh, would have beaten the Chiefs if I was healthy. And let's go to the exact quote. And this is from Ben Baby. We got to get Ben back on the on the show, man. I know he was on Jim's show recently, but we got to get him back on. Uh, quote: Still to this day, I feel like if I would have played the whole game, I was the key factor. We would have won the game. And as Baby notes here, at the time of the injury, Boyd had two catches for 40 yards. He appeared to uh, suffer the injury following a 24-yard completion at the end of a big game. Boyd's left leg was caught beneath Justin Reed. Oh, boy, the name that lives in infamy here in Cincinnati. Uh, as Reed made the tackle. Now, of course, you go back up here, too. This is – we'll talk more about this in, in a little bit. But, uh, you know, what he said it, that bothered him the most was the feeling that he let the team down. Um, hate to, you, you simultaneously hate to hear that, but love to hear that. You know, um, my, my thing is when you hear this quote, John, let's start here. Do you, do you actually say, yes, I believe he's actually correct. Is it one of those? Well, you never really know because it's hypothetical. Um, or are you just saying, well, you know, he can say what he wants, but you know, the, the result was the result regardless. I think in the moment there was definitely like a, a tangible feeling of like, oh damn, like Tyler Boyd is not their most explosive receiver, but when he's not on the field, it does draw a lot more attention to the other two receivers. Like there's there's definitely a domino effect that kind of comes with that. And that was arguably it may not have been the biggest reason why they lost, because I still think the offensive line definitely collapsed there against Chris Jones mm -hmm. and company, but that was definitely a compounding factor to the offense's ineffectiveness. You unfortunately had guys like Trent Irwin, like some other and another auxiliary option who just weren't creating enough explosive plays or they weren't getting open enough. And that's what you trust with Tyler Boyd the most. And the fact that, you know, he was on pace to be pretty productive in that game against the Chiefs defense that was exploitable to a, to a certain degree. I definitely think it, def it it had obviously a negative impact. I don't know if they would have won. I think they were pretty close to winning without him anyways, even if it would have been an ugly win regardless. So I, I think it's fine for him to believe that. Uh, it's obviously just hypothetical, but you you don't want your players, I guess, not thinking that. And especially with Tyler Boyd, who I think we don't really talk about him enough, but he's, I mean, he's obviously such a, an instrumental, instrumental leader and voice on the team. He's always been... I, I guess kind of boisterous in like the best possible way, but he's never been shy about his own confidence and his bravado and his ability. And also the fact that, so like he wanted to be out there, but he didn't want to be out there if it was going to be like a hindrance to the team. And you're talking about a guy who I still, I can never get that moment against the Miami Dolphins in 2019 out of my head when like his leg is like dangling and he's still not coming yeah. off the field because like if he did, then it would have had like a 15 second runoff. Like the dude is as tough as nails. And if he felt like he couldn't have been out there oh, unless he would have been a shell of himself, then you know that the injury was bad enough. In what what was a two win season, that's that that image comes to mind from Tyler Boyd, right? I think they had one win at the time, right? Um, so. You talk about a guy, and we'll, we'll parlay this into into a different conversation in just a second. But when I mean, you talk about a guy that embodies team, embodies a lot of different things that you love, um, and, and one of those guys, one of those few holdovers from the Marvin Lewis era, um, you know, just a guy who's really embraced a certain role and a certain leadership mantle with this team here. I, you know, I, I I'm in agreement with you. I I don't. I think the biggest problem, obviously, and this is no disrespect to Tyler Boyd, but the biggest 
issue was the offensive line in that game, obviously. But when you look at when did he leave the game specifically? Was it first quarter, second quarter? I can't really remember um, Boyd in the Chiefs game. Um, but it was early, right? Yeah. Um, and you're talking about a guy who has 40 yards. You average that at, let's just say he played a quarter and a half. Just I, I can't think of off memory when exactly he le- left the game. But 40 yards, let's say, in a quarter, quarter and a half of play. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's, you know, if you average it out per quarter, you're talking about a hundred yard game, right? And here's the other, here's the other element to it, John is, okay, let's just say Boyd was having a lot of success because a lot of attention rightfully so was maybe given to Higgins and Chase. What likely would have happened had Boyd continued to, you know, kind of pick them apart across the middle and, and, you know, make these big plays more attention probably at halftime would have then been shifted over to Tyler Boyd. And then, you know, it opens things up for Higgins and Chase. You also have to remember, John, that the Bengals made a miraculous comeback in that game. Remember the fourth down play from Jamar Chase where he's tumbling over two defenders? They had trouble scoring after Tyler Boyd left the game. So I think, you know, while Chiefs fans and Chiefs faithful and maybe even the players are rolling their eyes at this sentiment, I, you know, I think there's actually some validity to it based on the stats he put up in a very short period of time and the fact that the Bengals just – weren't really moving the ball all that well or scoring a lot of points all that well up until the very late stages of the game. So I do have the game log up. Uh, the injury occurred with about 11 minutes to go in the second quarter. Yeah. What's interesting okay. is that, so it, it happened on, on the play that you described. He was tackled by Justin Reed, gained 24 yards on that play. He caught his first pass just two prior two plays prior for 16 yards. So this drive, the Bengals were down 6 uh, nothing, and it was 14 and then Burrow completed to Boyd for 16 yards and kept the drive alive. And then he completed to Boyd again on us on a second and long. So this was like the first just any iota of offensive momentum that the Bengals had in this game because the game started terribly for them in the first quarter. Like Burrow was getting sacked, they, they fell behind. Like the defense had kept them in the game by only allowing like two two Chiefs field goals on their first drives. But that drive where Boyd got injured ultimately ended in in a short field goal. So they were stuck in the zone and. I think Boyd would have had value, obviously, in the red zone. So I don't know if that drive would have ended in a touchdown if Boyd stayed on the field. But I, I think seeing him being the source of, I think, the vast majority of offense production up to that point and then leaving the field, it probably took some steam out of the Bengals' offense for sure. Yeah, and then he continued the quote, uh, I just felt like we had enough depth for guys like Trent and Irwin and other guys to come in and play at a faster pace than what I felt like I could do. Um, meaning after that injury, I wish I was able to do it, but things happen. Um, I, we'll talk about more about Boyd in a second, but this is one of those situations, and this is the game now, and kudos to the Bengals, the front office, their coaching staff, and just their their focus, of course, is on the AFC North, and rightfully so, but beyond that, their focus is on the Kansas City Chiefs and getting past them in these uber-important games, whether it's at the end of the regular season or in the postseason and you can see what they did in free agency in the draft specifically this year, not only poaching one of the best players on the Kansas City Chiefs and bolstering one of the weaker, not necessarily left tackle now, this isn't a Jonas Lamb, just saying the offensive line has been an issue, for better or for worse. Um, guys in and out of the lineup, guys getting hurt, Jonah being one of them. So the Bengals did not sit around and allow, you know, and just kind of say, hey, you know, we're going to bring it back the same group. You know, you bring in a Charlie Jones and add depth, Yoshivas, you know, to the wide receiver group. You bring in Orlando Brown. 
you, you know, you re-sign Sharpie. You have all these players now where you go, okay, if this problem occurs, let's say we go far again. If this problem occurs and the, these this rash of injuries occurs on the offensive line, maybe a wide receiver late in the season, in the postseason. I mean, this, this team's played a lot of games the last two, se- two years. So, I mean, injuries are going to happen late in the year, unfortunately. And now the Bengals have at least on paper – better position themselves to, to, you know, kind of withstand some of those issues that, uh, you know, with this, with this Boyd situation being one instance to point to, you know what I mean? I mean, I think that point resonates a lot to a potential aggregation anger because sports illustrated released this like behemoth of an article where it's like a hundred predictions. For oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah. some yeah. of them were, secu- were, were satirical, but the lead one was, I think it was Connor Orr predicted that the Bengals would be the Niners in the Super Bowl. And his reasoning behind that was these two teams have like those factors of like teams that make it far into the postseason. And primarily it's just all around talent. Not just that, but depth as well. 49ers is like the pinnacle of a team that's just constantly thrashed by injuries. And sometimes they have no business making it as far as they do, but they manage to do that because they're just well built from top to bottom. And this is arguably the the deepest Bengals team we've seen in a while. And that's impressive mm-hmm. considering that they lost two veteran leaders at safety and they didn't have like, you know, like they picked late in the draft again for the second year in a row. So it, like it wasn't the easiest offseason for them to get through. And yet they've still managed to not only stay afloat, but I think for the most part remain on top of, of this division and remain at near the top of this conference in general. So, I mean, yeah, this this team is set up for to handle that inevitable adversity because eventually training camp is going to come. Preseason is going to come. The, the roster is going to look different. The projected lineup is going to look different. It especially is going to look different in January. You, you never know where those differences are going to end up, but the more deep that your team can be, the more likely it can overcome those challenges in late in the season. Well, I want to pivot this a little bit to, I, I guess, a little bit of a Tyler Boyd fanboy gush session a little bit um i i mean truth be told i have and i'll i'll go full disclosure on it i have a a little bit of a soft spot i've had a soft spot for tyler boyd for a long time number one i really liked him in college um and what i saw and i thought the fit with the Bengals was great um i I liked the fact that you know after a couple of uh, he had a good rookie year struggled the second year and was a guy that was kind of like oh boy what's this you know what's his future with the team going forward and he shot out of it and, and made a great, great career for himself. Um, you know, I have a soft spot for him. He was one of the very first players that we had on this show to interview, one of the bigger players that we've had. He, Willie Anderson, Anthony Munoz were kind of some of the, the early ones that we have had on this show, which was really cool. And we had him on twice, which was awesome. He was nothing but cordial. Um, actually met him with my brother and my nephew in Cincinnati a couple of years ago at um at jeff ruby's um and he was nothing but cordial and nice to us took a picture with my nephew and all kinds of things great guy so i have a real soft spot with him or for him um that being said again i go back to the guy there's case after case of what he embodies with this team and yeah the, the, the Chiefs comment we would have won, um, people outside of the Bengals' sphere would look at that and go, I roll. You know, I mean, uh, of course he's going to say that type of thing. But I believe – I do believe that he meant it and felt that. I do believe there is some merit to that argument as we just talked about. But, John, this is a guy, again, 
I, I go back and point to the, how he was able to, you know, revive his career, so to speak, after a, a down second year, some injuries and that sort of thing. You, I point to that, that specific play that you talked about against Miami in a year that was just absolutely dismal. And he's limping around the field to make sure that the plays are made and the team has its best shot to win a game. Fortunately, that game worked out a certain way where the Bengals got a certain quarterback. But <laughs> I mean, you just look at case after case. And then now with Burrow in the fold and this team making deep postseason runs, you know, he's really asserted himself as a leader and it's not just the talk. It's not just the, you know, it's a lot of production on the field. It's a lot of production in big games. And, you know, he's just a guy that I, I feel like we talk so much about Higgins and, Ch and Chase for, for very good reason. But this guy brings a lot of value. And we I don't want to say we forget about it, but it just gets overlooked at times. And then, you know, when you look at some of these cases, when you look behind the scenes of these quotes like we just did, were his what were his stats in that game? What was he doing? What was the landscape? What happened after he exited the game? And you go, this guy brings just such an unheralded value and, and a high amount of value. And while Higgins and Chase get the fanfare, Boyd really completes that trifecta of wide receivers and makes it arguably, if not definitely, the most lethal trio in, in the NFL. No, we, we absolutely overlook him, and I, and I think it's it's right to get lost in the fanfare, as you said, with Chase and Higgins, but I, I think that's another aspect of his presence at OTAs in general because I think the writing is pretty clearly on the wall that this is his last year in Cincinnati because the, the team doesn't value him. It's because he's getting paid like $9, 10000000 million a year right now for a contract that was signed four or five years ago, and I, I think... The, most of the NFL views him as a guy who's going to be effective for at least two to three more years. There's going to be a team out there that's in need of a, of a good receiver, a guy who can play the slot, who's also very experienced and is a, is a leader in his own right. Like he's going to get, if not the same deal, maybe even a larger deal. And I don't think the Bengals are going to be able to, to afford that with what they're expecting to pay both Higgins and Chase. So that is certainly in his mind. And that's something that he talked about. So like he can feel like, Oh, this is this is my last year here, you know. Like he can take an angle of disrespect if he so wishes. He can try to leverage that into some type of motivation, but he still feels the best thing for him is to be around the team. It's to improve with the team around him, and you know, like it, it's not it's not binary, like you said. Like it's not it's not only good that Lael Collins is there. It's only bad that Jonah Williams isn't there, for example. Like like there's more nuance and gray area to this, but we can still appreciate the fact that. In his last year of his deal, knowing that he's going to be, you know, out prioritized compared to his two running mates, the receiver, Tyler Wood is still here, and that's really cool. And also, I think this is his first year where he's like the longest tenured player on this team. No one has seen more Bengals football than Tyler Boyd, and that's also pretty cool. There's a level of respect that comes with the Marvin Lewis holdovers that remained with this team. And granted, you know, some of them lasted a year, some of them lasted a couple of years, but. There are a few that, you know, have have kind of stayed. And Uzama was a guy that, you know, stayed a, a couple of years and really took a leadership role with this team, um, you know, parlayed it into a good contract for himself as well after that Super Bowl run. But, um, you know, Boyd has kind of become another one of those guys. You know, it's basic, it's basically been Uzama, Mixon, Boyd, 
probably a couple of others that I'm that I'm missing off, uh, you know, off the top. Bates was one um, who, who you know took off at this Hubbard. year, but Hubbard, yeah. I mean, it, and what's what's the similarities or what is what is the common denominator of all those players? Right, incredible work ethic, great attitude, highly productive on the field, and have really taken on the yoke of, of being a leader on, on this team. And, oh, by the way, some of these guys have had some of the most iconic – those names we just talked about have had some of the most iconic plays, not only in, in Bengals postseason history, but Bengals team history, whether you want to go back and even talk about Boyd's reception against the Ravens, you know, that that you know knocked them out of the playoffs. You want to talk about Hubbard's fumble recovery last year against the Ravens in the playoff game last year. Boyd had a touchdown catch again in that that first playoff win against the Raiders. I mean, these guys, Bates interception against the Chiefs. I mean, you can go on and on about those guys. And there are a reason why, yes, there was a, a big purging of Marvin Lewis players after Zach and his his crew came in. But there's a reason why there was a handful of them that were targeted to say, these guys are sticking around. We're keeping these guys around, not just because they are productive on the field. There are many, many other reasons. And I think Tyler Boyd, embodies that Tyler Boyd really, you know, has taken this, this leadership role and run with it. And, uh, you know, I have, I have a ton of respect for him for a lot of different reasons, some of which are maybe I'm a little too close to the, to the, to the lens on that from some of the reasons I mentioned before, but uh, I just have a lot of respect for him. I, I like that you mentioned, like there was a real thought in 2017, like is Tyler Boyd going to be with the team beyond this year. Like he was just, he was not showing up when he needed to as a sophomore and that play against the Ravens, it goes down to Bengals lore and Buffalo Bills lore, I guess for, you know, clinching the playoff for them. That play was just as big for Boyd. I think it, as it was for mm-hmm. the team and the pills, because that, that year just wasn't that strong. And Alex, that was Alex Erickson. He was taking a lot of snaps in the slot too. And I think that play really catapulted some momentum. Like when I first started this show in 2018, we didn't know Tyler Boyd was like that good of a player. And then, AJ Green got hurt in 2018 and he was essentially a number one receiver for a little bit. And he had like a thousand yards and like, Oh yeah, this is the guy the Bengals drafted. And he really took off in that third year. And I think it all started from, from that moment. So it's, it's been fascinating to see his career, you know, grow. And he's really like, to, to me, he's in that tier of like TJ, like the, these guys, very similar skill sets and very similar impact of just guys who dominated in the slot. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to dog certain players or anything like that because I'm not about that at all. But, I mean, when you saw a player like John Ross get in Marvin Lewis's doghouse, he just could not get out of it, be it from injury, maybe some of his own mindset, that sort of thing. I don't know. I wasn't privy to all the details on that. But you saw a guy like Tyler Boyd who similarly was a little bit in Marvin Lewis's doghouse after that second year and came out and turn things around. And, you know, that's, that's where I just, you know, I look at that and I say, you know, I have a lot of respect for a guy like that. And then, you know, you see these quotes and you look at it and you say, man, what could have been had he remained healthy in that game? How different would that game have gone with him in there for a variety of different reasons? So um, we're going to get to, uh, we're going to pivot out of this and we're going to get to our potential breakout player for 2023 in just a second. I want to talk, I'm going to do a couple little announcements, John, if you're okay with that. Um, you see here, P Crowley 513 saying this is John Sheeran's retainer fee. Um, John, I may have to take that from you, unfortunately, because we are working with, as, as you remember a couple months ago, we had the great fortune of having 
Orlando Brown Jr. on on the program. And at the time, since he just was, I mean, it was like maybe a week after he signed with Cincinnati, he had he wanted to get involved with the charity there. He hadn't identified anything. Well, now he has, um, and we've been working with some of his representation to, you know, as the, because when we had him on, we say, you know, we'll pull money and do what we can to, you know, benefit what, what he identifies down the road. Well, he has identified uh, a charity, Ju uh, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And if you remember that there is a video now out on our YouTube channel, it's embedded also in an article on Cincy Jungle. Um, but he, if, if you remember, I mean, he's, his family history has a lot of uh, unfortunate connections to diabetes. You know, his uh, father passed away, what was coined as ketoacidosis, which is, you know, a, a big spike in blood sugar. He didn't even know he had type one diabetes and um, ultimately fell into a diabetic coma and, and passed away and that he relayed that story to us in the interview. Um, and here's the link we've, we've support, we've created a GoFundMe. I know we've asked a lot of you for money. Um, and it, it's not to us. Uh, most of the, you know, uh, when we do this, it's usually for this kind of stuff. Um, and this is a great cause. He has a specific event on June 10th. So about a week and a half from now, um, where he's going to be signing autographs and, and doing a lot of different things. And that's, that's being promoted, but we're doing our own side fundraiser. And so we've, we've just kicked it off last night. Um, and if you are so, you know, if you're, if you're willing, we'll, we'll have some prizes and stuff, likely some autograph stuff from him and some other stuff that we'll, we'll kind of raffle off. But if you're, if you are willing, even if it's, you know, seven bucks, if it's five bucks, whatever, uh, for his two Jersey numbers that he had now has with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you, you know, if you're able to do that just a little bit helps he, it, uh, to his credit, John, and you know, he has dove in head first in the Cincinnati community. Now I'm, I'm, you know, at an arm's length away cause I don't live in Ohio or anything like that, but from what I can see and what I can tell he's all in, right. I mean, he's in the video with the mayor, you know, <laughs> And he's, you know, going to the Cincinnati games. He was at the Cincy hat thing with, with uh, Ted Karras and he's all in. And so this is the, this is going to go to the greater Cincinnati chapter of juvenile diabetes research foundation. So um, uh, he's also working with, I think on the 10th with a, a store called five, one, three autographs. So he'll be there. You can purchase and bring items to uh, be, you know, as you purchase an item to be autographed, the a portion of those proceeds will go to this, but we're doing our own fundraiser. And uh, if you could help us out, if you could help us help him and then in turn help out JDRF, that would be awesome. I mean, like Anthony said, like we only exclusively ask you guys for donations for the best possible causes and for the best possible people. I mean, just like Ken, the Ken Riley foundation, uh, Anthony Munoz foundation, Ken Anderson Alliance, David Pollock's uh, family foundation. We had, Orlando Brown Jr. on a couple months ago, like Anthony said, just an incredibly genuine, personable guy with a lot of vetted interest, obviously, in this specific cause, and it's a phenomenal cause, too. So, you know, you guys have always been dependable on us before. We would never ask you for any donations for any cause that we wouldn't think is absolutely worth it, and this definitely falls into that. So, like like Anthony said, Orlando is a great dude. He's already made an impression on the Cincinnati community, and this would go a long way to, to just continuing that that. Uh, trust and partnership. Yeah, I appreciate that. And we will, um, we'll keep that running for a while. And, uh, you know, like I said, we'll have some prizes. We've given away prizes on some of our other stuff before. So we'll, we'll try and do that again. But uh, if you can, you know, just scrounge a couple bucks and, and uh, go to the link there 
that we've put in the live chats, that would be awesome to help out uh, Orlando Brown Jr. and uh, the Greater Cincinnati Chapter of Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. We have another announcement, but I'll save that later towards the end of the show. And let's get back to our potential breakout candidates. Now, last week we did Charlie Jones, a rookie, a guy that, you know, oddly enough, we're sitting here gushing about Tyler Boyd, but he could cut into some of those snaps out of the slot and or be part of four wide, five wide receiver sets. I saw we had a question about that earlier this evening excuse me, as well. So uh, Charlie Jones, we felt like because of potential special teams contributions, a guy that can do the, the jet sweeps and end arounds from a wide receiver position, whether it's split out wide or in the slot. And then, of course, all of his receiving prowess, we felt like he was a guy that could come in, not necessarily put up huge, huge numbers because we know the big three are going to be in front of him there on the depth chart, but a guy who could come in and contribute in a number of different ways. Well, the guy I have tonight is a guy that again can contribute he's going to be is an offensive player but again a guy who can contribute on special teams potentially and as a multifaceted player uh this is a guy who's had a really interesting career john sheeran uh, because he was drafted a handful of years ago and has had to absolutely bide his time with this team um and he's a guy that i feel could be poised really because of attrition attrition at the position, and that is Travion Williams, a guy who has had to bide his time, and a guy, again, I have a lot of respect for. He's been bounced on off the roster and bubble guy and not dressed and you know all that kind of stuff. And last year, he didn't have the most carries or anything that he's had in his career. That was back in 2020, but we saw some flashes and big games from him. He's only got 47 carries in his career, 238 career rushing yards, does have a 5.1 yard per carry average, only eight catches for 64 yards, but eight per per catch. 12 first downs of all those uh, of you know 50 plus catches, 55 or 55 plus touches, 56 touches, I guess. 55? Yeah. 55 touches. Uh 10 of those on the ground, two receiving, has no career touchdowns to his name. We're gonna look at some clips here in a lot of different facets. But this is a guy, John, I think, you know, now is he RB2? Is he RB3? Maybe split it with with Chase Brown. Here he is a couple of years ago against the Cowboys um, going out in the flat and just a nice little route and gets, you know, picks up a nice seven, eight yards, just right what his average is. This is one of my favorite plays, uh, and this was the game he really shined the most, I think, as an offensive player. Look at him keep the play alive. Makes a great catch on a play right here. And, oh, I'm not down yet. Let me get an extra two, three yards on the catch against the Titans. That was a big play. Here he is now. That Those were him as a receiver. Here's a couple of clips as a kick returner. We don't know exactly what's going to happen um, with, you know, with Chase Brown. We know, you know, there's, uh, you know, uh, Chris the Chris Evans experiment may or may not be over at this point based on his lack of just – not being on the field um, and this guy getting the kick return looks there was, I, I think Evans did have an injury last year as well, but you know, this is a guy you see here, nice little return there. Obviously the devaluation of kickoff returns, uh, especially with the new rule that we discussed last week, you know, there's some stuff like that going on. This is a nice little return as well, but you know, you pop these occasionally, maybe this is where, again, if there's a devaluation of that, maybe this is where he can come in. Um, and then here's him as a running back. You see here, this was a really nice play here. Gets stopped and does not go down after first contact or second or third contact, really, right there. Great run right there. 
Here he is, and again, a couple of years ago against the Cowboys. Um, you see, you see him just a nice, just work up the middle and get nine yards there. And then here he is as a pass protector. I slowed that down. Not the best clip of him there. Obviously, the clips of, of that are pretty limited because the snaps and the you know his role has been pretty limited in the the offense there. But you can see, I mean, he'll get in there and put his put his helmet in there. Obviously, something that was also two years ago. So you have to think he's probably improved off of that at least a little bit for since then. But man. I, you know, this is a guy – I feel – here's here's kind of my thing with it. I feel like Chase Brown could be a potential breakout player in the second half of the season. I feel like Travion Williams is maybe the potential breakout player for the first half of the season as the Bengals maybe then start to mix in a Chase Brown, that sort of thing. I, I think – no Samaj P. Ryan. Um, Joe Mixon's getting older, and I think the Bengals do want to kind of mix up the, the touches and the carries – Williams may be RB3, but you, you could look at him as a kickoff returner, a guy that can do a couple of different things as a running back, receiving, rushing. Um, and I think he's going to see more touches this year, not maybe a huge, huge increase. He's still going to be a backup player, but I think he's a guy that could come in and you know surprise a few folks. I remember a couple of years back when you, you remember like <clears throat> preseason hero Jacquez Patrick, you know, he, like he, yeah. he frequented the offseason a little bit. People love Jacquez Patrick because he made a lot of splash plays in the pre- in the preseason, and I think he was still around when Chris Evans was a rookie, and people wanted to see Chris Evans. There was a time, I think it was twenty twenty one, where it's like, what, what what does Travion Williams really do here? Like, what what exactly what exactly do you do here? You know, it's the office space, <laughs> scene, right? And I think from the outside perspective, he wasn't the flashiest player, he wasn't the biggest and the most powerful. But he kept he stuck around. And I think that was one of the surprises in one of these two previous offseasons. Like, hey, the Bengals got four running backs. Trevion Williams is still one of them. He was the first running back that Zach Taylor took as a head coach in 2019. Like the, one of the two uh six round picks from that 2019 draft with Rodney Anderson knew unfortunately injuries caught up with him just like they did in college. But Williams was always like he was drafted because he fit the previous blocking scheme to a T because yep. he played with Jim Turner yep. in Texas A&M and he was always very at his own blocking. And I think the, the, I don't want to say intangibles, but I, I think he's just one of the smartest players that they have. And he's a professor on the side. So he's obviously got some, some intellect to him, but he, he, I think he's just a great practice player. I think he's always been able to do his job. Well, regardless of what the job is and the fact that he never really popped off, during his extended playing time when he could play and get on the field in the preseason has kind of altered the altered the perception of him. But like in that Cowboys game and like in, in the very limited times we've seen him in the regular season, he's been all right. Like he hasn't made a lot of splash plays like the Titans game provided some, but he's rarely had any negative plays too. So like he's always been able, I think, to do his job at an effective level just enough to stick around, right? To, to bide your time long enough to see if an opportunity does open up and that's why he went from rb4 in the past couple of years to now a clear-cut rb3 like he was last year when he over chris evans and chris evans's whole thing is that no one really knows what he does well if, if he can do anything well and trevon williams does a lot of things pretty well right but nothing too extraordinary to ever be like a main feature back or maybe even a complimentary back that gets 10 touch teams so i don't know if i'm all the way in on him being like rb2 even for the first half of the season but i think he's clearly like one of the top three, like they only have 
three or five running backs on this team. He's clearly RB3. He's clearly going to make the team again. There's a reason why they signed him. And also, I think him overtaking Chris Evans as the kickoff returner, like there's also, I think, some perception of that position. Like you want like a great athlete there. You want a guy that can take, you know, put on the burners and run back 100 yards. Mostly, I think it's about vision. And he's always, yep. Williams has always had great vision as a runner. And it's mainly just about, you know, finding the seams and finding the holes more than just having 4-4 speed, which he clearly doesn't have. So that's always, I think that's why they identified him as a reliable guy in the return game too. So I think reliability in practice in the offseason, he's just always done enough to stick around. And like you said, like there is an opportunity for him to have an increased role. Now that Samadji Piran's out the door. I, I, I do wonder though, like I, is he going to get those first uh, reps behind Joe Mixon in training camp or is that going to be Chase Brown? It's going to be a question that I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the answer. Yeah, it might be RB2A and RB2B, right? I mean, I I think there's going to be a number of touches going around. Um, and I think, you know, you, you mentioned kind of a jack-of-all-trades situation with him, and I agree with that. But I do think the one thing that – I don't know if it's necessarily extraordinary, but I think it's it's pretty damn good is what you mentioned is his vision. Um, and if you when you watch either those clips or even others of when he's, you know, a lot of times – he'll find the right, the right hole to go to when he's running the football, you know, more, way more often than not, he'll find the right cut. Um, so I think between the, and, and to your point also on kick returns, that's a valuable asset, right? Because if you're not going to be the burner, you know, the, the Percy Harvin guy that's out running everybody that's running a four, three or what have you on kickoff returns, you need to be able to find the creases. You need to be able to see where your blocks are lining up and navigate around those to make a big play. And I think he has shown, you know, uh, some, some occasions that he can do that. And, and kickoffs are, have become increasingly tough on players to, to pop big plays. So, you know, I think this is a guy that I think we talk about maximizing your roster and maximizing your roster spots. This is a guy that kills a couple of birds with, with one stone in terms of a return man, a backup running back option and a guy that can probably be somewhat reliable in some third down situations going forward on offense. So I just, you know, if he can prove that he can pass block at a decent level and he can kind of continue to be reliable when called upon, I think this is a guy that's going to see more touches this year because of P Ryan being gone, some fluidity with Mixon and obviously the age and all that kind of stuff. I, I just I, I see an increased role. How big of an increase? I don't know because of the Chase Brown effect. But I think uh, you know I, I I think he can he could be a guy where he, where he'll he'll provide you with a splash player too potentially every game. I, I do wonder if it's like because with, with Samaje Pirine when he was added to the team a few years ago, no one expected him to have the role that he ended up having. And obviously, like Pirine had a more illustrious college career. He was had he had draft status in comparison to Williams. But with Pirine, it's like okay, like he can do some things here and there, and he can you know give you like five touches a game. But you're wondering like is is there like a minis- a diminishing marginal returns here if you give him too big of a role? And that ended up not really being the case. Like obviously, Pirine is not like like a great starter by any means, but he was he was fine with an extended role. And that's the biggest thing for me with Williams because we haven't seen him with an extended role. And even if that's like, you know, eight to 10 carries a game as the guy who spells Joe Mixon, like that's still, you know, in, in the hundreds of carries in the season. He, he hasn't had that workload since his Texas A&M days. And it's good that he is a running back. And, it, and this is the position where, you know, it, it, 
like the the required skill is not that great to get the production. But I do wonder if like we've seen the flashes here and there, and I do wonder if, if that efficiency and effectiveness would continue to translate should he be given more chances to do so. So I think it's good that they have three guys now, including Chase Brown, that they, that they can all feel comfortable giving those chances, especially considering you know the best of them. Joe Mixon is now going to be 27 years old, and that's usually when that, that cliff for running backs ends up hitting. It's I had a thought last year about P. Ryan, just total side note. I remember going to the, the Seattle game, and I guess that would be 2019, and yeah. seeing I, he was one of the, the last waiver wire pickups after final cuts. And I remember seeing him on kickoff coverage um, <laughs> and then going, oh, wow, you know, there's the new guy on kickoff coverage there. Mm-hmm. And then now I was, I remember thinking late last year when he's putting up these huge performances against the chiefs and, you know, <laughs> you know, wow, this guy's, that guy's really come a long way from, you know, being a, a, a final cut waiver wire pickup kickoff coverage guy to, you know, valuable, valuable running back. But hopefully if, Travion Williams' number is called in a similar fashion because, God forbid, Joe Mixon gets hurt or there's other issues happening. Hopefully he can step up in the way that, you know, while it's been a small sample size, we've seen some good flashes from him. We'll see. That is going to start wrapping things up for us. Let's drop the mic and get out of here for a little bit of an abbreviated episode. John Sheeran, what do you have for us on our way out the door? This was one of my favorite episodes, honestly. We're just just chopping it up, talking about Tyler Boyd for half an hour. I want to plug... (laughs) I want, I want to plug a video that I, I won't say we that you did last year. It was Bengals biographies featuring Tyler Boyd. It was one of, our, oh, yeah. one of my favorite videos on our channel. So definitely Thanks, check man. that out as you, as you finish watching this. Be sure to head over to our channel, subscribe if you haven't, and check out Bengals biographies featuring Tyler, Tyler Boyd. And it, thank you. And again, that video came from my soft spot for him. Um, and we'll be doing more of that, especially this summer, maybe bi- biographies. And we also had a fun one that we did. I think it was late last year. Maybe people look at it as more of a, <laughs> a bad luck charm, maybe with the uh, best Bengals battles with the Kansas City Chiefs. But we'll do <laughs> we'll do more of that, more of that kind of stuff, too, as the as the, as the summer rolls on. And we want to give you different stuff to take in. So while Almost all of our episodes are on the audio side. That's why you also have to subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can get stuff like that. But um, I want to I want to say this. I know we mentioned what we're doing with Orlando Brown Jr. I think it's actually on the same day. But our guy, Bengal Jim, is doing his third annual Jungle to the Hall. And it is, as usual with those guys, they bring the big guests. They bring the all the fun eats, excitement, all kinds of stuff. This is going to be, I believe, on June 10th as well, later in the afternoon. I think it's from 1 to 4, um, and it is at the Banks. Um, and if you are unfamiliar with what Jungle to the Hall is about, it is about bringing awareness to worthy Bengals who should be enshrined in the Hall of Fame and have not been um, and have not found their rightful place. Now, I, I give credit to... Bengals fans everywhere. I give credit to the Cincinnati Bengals brain trust and the ring of honor, but I also give credit to guys like Jim who put forth these, these kind of events that get help get Ken Riley, his place in the hall of fame, his rightful place in the hall of fame. So you can see here, there's going to be a lot of different people coming to um, this event, the members of the super bowl 23 SWAT team, uh, Eric Thomas, Solomon Wilcox, 
Um, they will be, David Fulcher will be there. David Lapham's going to be there. Ted Karras will be there. Chase Brown, rookie, uh, set to make uh, an appearance. Live music, door prize. I think Chase Brown is also doing autographs as well. I, I may be wrong about that, but it's all at the banks. You can RSVP this link here. Um, I will give the link to the article so you can check that out. There's also a link to RSVP to that, but this should be a hell of a time. And this is bringing awareness to people like Chad Johnson, Max Montoya, Ken Anderson, Willie Anderson, guys who are Corey Dillon, maybe even as well, guys who are seemingly worthy and have Hall of Fame-like resumes, but because they were either on bad Bengals teams or because the Bengals have not been the most popular team and or the most successful team in NFL history, they get overlooked. Um, Really cool stuff coming specifically to push for Ken Anderson uh, from from Jim and the guys there. Uh, I can't say what it is. He let me know a little bit of it, but check out his YouTube channel and check out what they put out there. There's going to be some cool stuff, but a lot of cool people going down there. A lot of Bengals fans probably going to be thousands and thousands of people there. From what I understand, go check it out. I mean, the the fact that you know Ken Riley's already in, I think, is a pretty good success story for uh, for Bengal Jim. If he can get both Andersons in, I, I think he can be like Anus and like he, he can just retire. You know, yeah. <laughs> with, with, with a grateful universe behind yeah. it. You know, so yeah, hopefully yeah. that happens for, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you, John. Uh, thank you to all the live listeners and those who listen after the fact. Hopefully you enjoyed a little bit of a different episode, but a, a fun one. Nonetheless, we'll be bringing you more stuff. As we said, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the, well, give a thumbs up to the Cincy jungle Facebook page and subscribe to the Cincy jungle podcast channel through your favorite audio streamer, where you can get this show three and out talking football with Bengal Jim and friends. And of course, coach speak and talk uh, chalk talk with coach Matt Minnick. Take care, everybody. We'll be back soon. See you later.